tell you what, right? Right. Right. Kids today. These children today. The ragamuffins. Right. They're soft. Not like in my day. They don't know how good they have it. Tell us about your day. There were no, well, very few regulations on the safety of toys. Oh, yeah. This is true. There were some. You know, we didn't have lawn darts anymore because of all the people that, got, like, got their eyes stabbed out with them. Right. Um, A lot harder to get BB guns, but, you know, over time it's been a lot easier for young people to get real guns, so it's sort of balanced out there. But... I recently purchased some Mad Balls. Oh, yeah. Now, I've already had Mad Balls before. (laughs) (laughs) Testies, everyone. Testies. So Mad Balls were from the 80s. 1986 were what these ones uh, came from. The original version of them was round balls with ugly faces. That was the concept. Yeah. It was part of that whole gross-out thing. Uh, so obviously, as a Boglin aficionado, uh, Mad Balls have always been in my, on my radar. What if a Boglin was a stress ball? Basically, yeah. You had, like, a skull, a mummy, a werewolf, like a lot of traditional monsters, and then a lot of gross things. And the, the things I had as a kid were the popping head... the head-popping action figures, where they took the Mad Balls, made... Little round rubber heads and uh, uh, put springs inside and stuck them on action figure bodies that for 1986 were incredibly well made. If you actually look those things up, the, the level of detail yeah. and the paintwork on them is stunningly good. Like, for the time, amazing. Even by today's standards, these are like really detailed. But what I love about them is how dangerous they are. I recently acquired some, two specifically that that I've been wanting to get because me and my brother had them as kids. Went to a shop in a little town called Dewsbury. A weird town, I'll tell you about that in a second. But the heads are like thick rubber with like maybe hard plastic inside. What I'm going to do is I'm going to press the button on the back of the action figure um, the skeleton one, um, if anyone's uh, interested, and it's gonna hit the desk. That that was pretty firm. Yeah, that actually hit the keyboard. So what I'm gonna do is I will just drop it onto the desk from a height. That's a pretty sizable thud. It's a sizable thud. That's, yeah, there's a density there. Yeah, and these things pop off like a bullet from a gun, and. I am amazed at the uh, the sheer condition of these. I found them in this this toy shop. They were just in a glass cabinet. None of the paint's worn. There's like a maybe a bit on the the like tiny little traces, but otherwise clean as hell. And the springs are still coiled like a cobra about to strike. And I have almost shot myself in the face several times <laughs> because. Yeah. The only issue with them is some of them are on a hair fucking trigger at this point. Mm. I have brushed my hand past them and they have exploded. They're somewhat like a like a grenade that's been sat around and someone finds like 30 years later and it's like, oh yeah, you don't have to pull the pin out of that thing. Like if you brush too close of it, it's just going to go off anyway. Right? That That is actually exactly 
with the same <laughs> level of risk and damage, exactly what it's like, Laura. <laughs> so long story short, there was a shop at Indusbury called Kiddies in Dom. That doesn't... No, thank you. Yeah. Could they call it like anything else? To be fair, it looked like at one point it might have said Kiddies Kingdom. Oh. But I can only assume that like vandals tried to come up with like using what material they had. So they're like, okay, we've got Kiddies Kingdom on the wall. And these this sign is massive, right? If you took a letter off, it'd probably like come up to my like past my knees. And I'm a tall bitch, right? But clearly they saw Kiddies Kingdom and realised their options were very limited for mischief, so crossed way past mischief and just went <laughs> over the fucking line. Because oh. you can't have Kiddies in Dom! <laughs> no, no, you can't. You, no, you can't. can't. You can't. Oh, that town is weird. It has got a roundabout that's three roundabouts. It's so weird, that end of, of, of Yorkshire. A roundabout that's three roundabouts. It's like... Three roundabouts that aren't quite round. And I don't know how it... If you look at it, it's like... So are like, they like ovoidabouts? Yeah, it's bizarre. There is a shop with a, a vinyled over window. Outside of this is a sign that says, Silicone Babies. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And underneath, rebirthing. Well. Okay. Now... My first thought was that is a shop where they are making babies out of silicone to sling up someone right? so they can enjoy the experience of giving birth to their children again. That makes sense. Yes, this trek. The yeah, reality right. is only slightly less creepy. I'm assuming it's multiple lo- multiple offices. I, I was assuming this is the like, it's, it's a very realistic looking baby that you, you have... Yeah, I can't have a baby, I'll have this one that looks a little dead-eyed, but otherwise, like, a baby. Yeah, it's sort of yeah. that. So, like, silicone babies and, and rebirthing are actually related. Okay. The process of making a terrifyingly lifelike, uncanny valley baby is called rebirthing. Phoenix and I were looking this up. Okay. Because we had to find out what this was. Okay, okay so it's, it's the making process. Now, you say it's for people that can't have children. That could be one reason why someone would want a reborn baby, but let's remember that it's not born, it's reborn. This is one of the most popular form of clientele, is people that had babies, with oh. had being a very operative word. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Police have, have broken into cars. <laughs> In the past, after it being reported that a baby was abandoned and unconscious in one. I recognise the emotional value this could have in the right setting and use case, but I've also come across stories on the internet of people who have real actual babies that they've been unable to like, ah, oh, there's no space on the bus to bring the pram onto the bus. Oh wait, no, you've got a pram on the bus taking up the pram spot, but that that's not a that's not a person in there. Could could you maybe not take up the pram spot that's needed by a person with with a human baby? Yeah, you see, I I I misinterpreted where you were going with that, <laughs> right? And thought are people are people getting these these vinyl? Most of them are vinyl. 
these vinyl Uncanny Valley babies made so that they can take the parent and child parking spot at the supermarket. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. If you're gonna do that, this seems like a good way to achieve that goal. By the way, right, if you've taken the parent and child parking spot, right? Right. And you don't have a kid... You don't get to stare at me in the supermarket like I shouldn't be there. It's true, because they shouldn't be there. They should be looking for a parking space. Exactly. (laughs) There is a 100% crossover between transphobes and people that park in the parking spot reserved for kids without having kids. They're the kind of people that buy a vinyl baby. (sighs) Anyway. Hey, it's it's Fogquisition. It's it's weird. We sometimes talk about video games here. I've pl- I've played some. I bet you two have played some as well, probably. Uh, yeah, I heard Bono's a fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll I'll, ju- I'll jump in with like a really quick one I want to mention because it's just a it's a demo for something I played this week, and I mainly want to talk about it because it has some really interesting like accessibility setting stuff that's worth like keeping an eye on. There is a demo up on Steam at the moment for a game called Stories of Blossom, and it is a really nice like watercolor art style uh, point and click adventure game. Deliberately, like, not particularly complex in language or um, puzzle difficulty. It is designed to be able to be played through by children, by people with uh, disabilities that may impact uh, language, comprehension, ability, things like that. But what I wanted to note about it is it is a point-and-click adventure game that has been really well designed for being completely playable by sightless blind players. The default control scheme is your traditional point-and-click. You mouse over things, you click on them. There is an alternative here where you can just go left and right with uh, the keyboard to cycle through all of the highlightable things on screen, have them described to you as audio, uh, select the one you want to interact with, and all of the cutscenes and all of the gameplay moments feature full audio descriptions for absolutely everything. Uh, Every cutscene pauses between lines of dialogue to describe what is being shown. Every time you reach a new location, uh, it pauses to describe to you the location you've entered. Every time you interact with a new item or person, uh, there is an audio description can be given for um, you know for who you're interacting with. There are really nice options like if there are words in a sentence that are meant to be a clue for how to solve a puzzle, you can make them bigger than the other words in the sentence to help you know guide people along. Just really nicely thought through accessibility stuff in there. Like it is a game that's like clearly not for me in terms of like who it's targeting, mm. but it is a really like ambitious little demo that like the demo is pretty short. You can finish it in like 15, 20 minutes. The game's coming out spring next year, and like that demo has me really intrigued, and I think it's gonna be a game I'm gonna keep pointing back to in terms of accessibility stuff going forward, because it like it has leapfrogged past anything else in the genre in terms of accessibility in a way that's really impressive. So don't have much to say about it. It's a simple point and click about, you know, a kid going on imaginary adventures, meeting all sorts of fantasy creatures. But like, yeah, if you're at all interested in accessibility stuff, like go check out that demo. It's really neat. What about you both? What have you been playing this week? I am I am dying to hear about the games that Steph chose to play this week. Oh, yeah. Because for one, I mean, the Scorn review. Hmm. But. Also, there's a game on your list that I can't believe anybody in current year argument would play. <laughs> and, and I say that 
regardless of the year, I say current year because it doesn't matter what year you listen. You could listen to this in the past. Yeah, you could travel back to 2009 when it was released and it'd still be questionable. (laughs) But we will get to that. Uh, Yeah, later on, we can all sit down and eat lead together. But right now, let's get it out of the way. Uh, Let's talk about Scorn. Yeah. So I have published a review of this because, like I said last week, written video game reviews are back. And I've been um, enjoying getting back into it. It, It's really sort of gotten me into talking about video games again. And it's therapeutic to write a review of something like Scorn after you've experienced something like Scorn. A game truly worthy of its name. It is not the worst horror game I've ever played because I've played Agony. It's agony, though. It is so bad. Uh, And I realise it's got a a little gaggle of fans who are angry at anyone who accurately calls this game an insulting, contemptuous waste of time. That's what it is. Uh, I realise some people think that, that this game's insistence on wasting your time, on um, making you feel bad, on giving you just a shoddy user experience is genius. I'm sure there are, you know, I know there are people that think that this is genius, that, that the game, some of the game's very worst elements are the point of the game, or it's okay because they're not the point of the game. Um, you know, pick your poison there. Uh, but this game is terrible. If this game had stuck to just being a very fleshy mist, yeah, it would have been subpar because what this game does is present some of the most bargain basement puzzles and dress them up uh, with obfuscation to... Um, essentially try and trick the player into thinking they're not bargain basement puzzles. If it had stuck to that, I'd have been okay with it. I'd already come to accept that this game was an atmospheric puzzle game about taking in grisly sights rather than engage in combat. Mm. And I just accepted that before the combat happened. To give you an idea of this game's core philosophy, it's best to just explain the, the opening chapter, the, the prologue, basically. You are some guy who wakes up somewhere and does something for some reason. Um, you're all meaty. The scenery is all meaty. It's basically, you know, a, a very impressive forgery of H.R. Geiger's work is essentially what uh, the entire design of this game is visually. But what the game does, and does this throughout, is give you puzzle pieces before you know what the puzzle is. Ah. There's, you know, machinery to operate. There's levers to pull. None of it does anything. And there's loads of it. And especially for someone like me, who, you know, has many uh, concentration issues, it's almost anxiety-inducing to be given half a dozen components to a puzzle with no idea how to use them and no opportunity to use most of them because there's a starting point somewhere and once you find it, you're going to have to remember where all the other components are. And that's the game's core challenge philosophy. 
confuse the player by giving them things they can't use yet and basically uh, expect them to stumble on the starting thread. And then once they do that, that's when the illusion of this game being um, deep and and meaningful with its puzzles uh, completely evaporates. Because once you like stop poking your fingers in fleshy holes and pulling slick and glistening levers and going, oh, isn't that a bit disgusting? Once you find what the starting point of this first puzzle is, you find that it's nothing more complex, nothing more original, nothing more compelling than a sliding block puzzle. And one of the worst types of sliding block puzzles, because what you're supposed to do is squint your eyes until you realise that two of them have little, very tiny pinprick blinking lights on them. One of which will be crushed, and one of which is actually used for the puzzle. Okay, well, are they are they squishy, fleshy blocks? They're essentially little round pods. They're cocoons. Um, some of which are attached to each other, and some of which are on their own. And you've got to move them around to make space to get one of them into position so a claw can come and grab it and take it down to the rest of the puzzle. And the rest of the puzzle is just pulling leaves in sequence and basically mangling this weird mass of flesh and eyeballs. But that's what this game is like. Yeah. It's, oh, we're so mysterious. You figure it out. Uh, We're very complex and we're very mysterious. Now shut up, fuck off, here's a sliding block puzzle. This game is full of, of, like, simple puzzles that would be shitty hacking mini-games in a real video game presented as the actual core challenge and then we get to the combat oh god this looks painful which i'm supposed to believe is okay because it's not the focus of the game it's like silent hill people try and tell me in that you're supposed to feel powerless and weak against it but the sense i got is that the problem with the combat comes more from it failing to be particularly well executed as opposed to deliberately making the player powerless. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, in, in Silent Hill, um, it's often encouraged to avoid monsters altogether. Right. You know, you can turn the radio and the light off uh, and the monsters can't really find you very well. Uh, you generally have space to get round them. Uh, and there are elements of this game where you don't have that space. The the monsters hit hard up close and can very quickly shoot you from a surprisingly long range with projectiles. Hmm. And if you try and fight them, you you are in for a bad time. You have no defensive strategies whatsoever. You cannot dodge. You cannot block. Uh, you can only sprint. And turning around is really sluggish, and you don't have a lot of room to maneuver in um, several areas. You know, they'll come through, like, really tight corridors. Uh, There have been several points where I've tried to run past, but there's just not room, and they are blocking. They're just blocking me. There is a healing system, but just like with the puzzles, you get the component for it before you get the ability to use it to heal. You pick up this weird little, like, sea anemone-looking thing, and it doesn't do anything. And then there's a bunch of combat before you get to the healing. Now, apparently reviewers have got to points, and I was almost at one point until I found a workaround, 
where you can get to a checkpoint with like barely a sliver of health because you've either fought or failed to flee mm-hmm. and you are just fucked. Yeah. You can get to a point where it's like, I can't get past this without taking damage and I'm in uh, checkpoint hell. It's perfectly possible for that to happen. Luckily, I was lucky enough to, uh, I thought I was in that position, but managed to uh, cheese it to get get past the enemy that was blocking my way. Uh, but it's just horrible. And, you know, people are trying to justify it by saying, oh, it's not the focus of the game. It's like Silent Hill. But no, you have to engage with this. And if you have to, if you have to focus on it as a player, then the developer should be a, feel obliged to focus on it as well, to some degree, to at least the bare basic custodial responsibility of making sure that it's not unpleasant on the mechanical level, that it's not to the point where I don't want to play the game. Hmm. I just don't want to play this game. And I I got the opportunity to, to conclude my time with it when... I was being smashed about on the floor by a big charging block of flesh and thought, fuck this. I might as well just restart from the checkpoint. So I opened the menu and got to the loading screen, uh, the load menu and loaded up the latest save. And that's when I found out that the game doesn't actually save checkpoints. It only saves the beginning of each act, which was a, like at least an hour back the way I came. Yeah. Which meant not just like engaging with some of the worst combat I've ever experienced, but also sitting through puzzles I'd already solved. Uh, all of which, like, like, or at least many of which, have laborious animations because it involves lots of slow-moving machinery. Uh, by the way, if you die, um, the checkpoints are so so harshly rationed out that you'll end up doing that anyway, um, going through a lot of the same puzzles, which isn't challenging. I don't, I don't see how that's well designed to punish the player by making them just watch the same slow, sluggish, boring animations again. Too human is less annoying with its its respawning mechanic than this. Ouch. Too human. That's a bold statement. Mm. Yeah. You know, a game with one of the most notoriously bad punishments for dying in video game history. And I find that more bearable than what Scorn does. But anyway, um, I lost over an hour of progress. And again, people have tried to be like, well, that's your fault. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, on some degree it is. Because I trusted the game. Because you... Started playing the game in the first place, yeah. Well, yeah. But, you know, I trusted the video game to handle uh, loading, checkpoints, and saving like every other video game I've ever fucking played. And yes, I should have paid attention. Yes, I should have. You should have recognized the inherent flaws already existing in this product and thought to yourself, they're clearly they're going to fuck this up too. Yeah. <laughs> the game is so mean-spirited and that that's like what this game is. It's mean-spirited and it's full of traps. I had well, I was one hit point away from death at one point and I've been looking at the scenery like the game sort of encourages you to do because they put so much effort into the environment. And I've been looking at sort of these snaky tendrils that look like exposed nerve endings. And then I saw this other tendril and it spat at me and then I died. It never introduced this thing before. It just spat at me and I died. So that's how mean spirited this game is. It's vindictive. So what you're saying is that like, 
having having HR Geiger-esque visual inspired design is not enough by itself to make this not a terrible video game. Yes. Having your only selling point be entirely the work of a man who had nothing to do with your game is probably uh, not enough on its own. Um, but yeah, yeah, like, you know, people have said that's my fault. Yes, I should have looked at my phone and checked the time and seen how far back the timestamp on the save file was. Yes, I'm never going to do that for any other game because I trust those games to handle it properly. But for this one, I should have. Once I reloaded it, it, it saved over every, like, it saved over the whole thing. There's no do-over, there's no secondary save file, there's no... Like, it doesn't warn you, it doesn't give you a pop-up or a confirmation, it just reloads it and you are fucked. You're fucked. It's a terrible video, even without that bit. You know, this game is one of the least pleasant games I've ever played. Not in an, oh, it's meant to be visceral and, and, and you know, skeeve you out. Like, that bit is to its credit. This game is disgusting, and that's actually a positive for this. But no, the gameplay is not thematically brilliant for being just as unpleasant as its visuals. It's just unpleasant. Because I have to play it. That's the thing. The game can be an unpleasant experience, but if I've got to play it, I'm having unpleasant interactions. And that's not my idea of a valuable use of my time. So yeah, Scorn is... Absolutely one of the worst horror games I've played in a decade. It's contemptuous towards its player, just has a, a just a mean streak running through it. And while I am completely aware that some people think it's brilliant for everything I hate about it, I hate everything about it. Except the art style that isn't even theirs. There's a certain type of um like people who love pathologic. Mm-hmm. Like, I will never be one of those people. No. Right? And I recognize that there's something in it. Pathologic is a terrible time. Yeah. I've tried playing it once. I will never play it again because it is basically everything that's designed to piss me off. Right. However, I have seen people play it. I've seen people talk about it. I can recognize that that game is operating on a pretty clever level. Yeah. Scorn is is the aesthetic, the the interactive aesthetic of Pathologic mm -hmm. without any of the depth, complexity, or intrigue. Right. Yeah, I I think I would like to watch this. Yeah. Right? By you know, just a straight playthrough without any confusion or something like a speed run without trying to speed, I I think is where I would land on wanting to observe this game. The visuals are very cool and fucked up looking, and I'm into all of that. But in and amongst that lay the problem for me also in sort of realizing just on observation and based on the like two sentence description of the game from the publishers as this being a context visual based puzzle thing mm -hmm. that I knew instantly once I read that that was like oh oh I'm gonna get lost in this and I don't know it, there's a real risk of yeah. things not communicating to me in a way that I'm going to enjoy it and then when you bring in that the combat both exists is bad and is bad 
and seemingly unavoidable. Uh, it, for me, that would completely turns this into a hard pass. But something I, just on a, a visual level is so fascinating that I'm still kind of compelled to examine it. I was intrigued by it, but the big thing that was my, like, warning sign that, like, it probably wasn't going to be great was that it has been, like, heavily, heavily, heavily pushed in marketing uh, during a lot of the, like, Xbox, um, like, look at how fancy next-gen graphics are showcases, but always in CGI trailers only focusing on, look, we've got Geiger-esque things that maybe look like penis monsters, uh, and n they never pushed gameplay. Mm. And, like, you, you don't push a game that hard promotion-wise and then not never show gameplay, Unless, like, yeah, you know that it's maybe lacking a bit of substance. Yeah. Yeah. Bad game. That's a shame. What about you, Conrad? What have you been playing this week? Well, all right. So I, I really have only played one thing because otherwise it'd just be more Fallout 4. And it's that I don't know that I have much more to say about Fallout 4 at the moment. But um, I, I've, this is actually related to Scorn because it's pretty much the same kind of game, but with better combat. Hmm. It's called Cryo... Cryohazard. That's right. That's clever, right? Cryohazard. It's cute. Oh, like Biohazard. Right, like Biohazard, but Cryohazard. Yeah. Apparently, Cryohazard is also an IPA. Ah. That was... All I'm getting is, like, pictures of fucking beer cans when I'm trying to look this up. Well, that's because you're trying to look up a game made by a streamer and being sold on Itch as a... It is a Game Boy hey. ROM. Oh, yeah, see it now. Um, and I got it. It is a very small little game. Uh, it's a first person point and click adventure in the vein of a uh, uh, deja vu or um, Shadowgate, but without a lot of the inventory complexity stuff. Once you pick stuff up, you don't have to select to use it. It just knows to use it. There's a point at which you get a passcode, and you don't have to enter the passcode. It just does it for you. you know, little creature comforts from that stuff that take out of the unnecessary busy work. I played it on stream um, Monday night with my wife, Linda, and they do a lot in 90 minutes with minimal visual abilities, I think is the way to put it. Like, the, the, the technical aspects of the Game Boy, they do a lot with how few shades of gray they have to work with, which is neat. The enemy, or I say enemy, creature designs in it are pretty horrifying. And so you're basically, you wake up in a, in a facility, and you have no memory of who you are, how you got there, but you've been cryogenically frozen for some reason, and... The facility appears to be abandoned, and you explore it. And there are creepy monsters, and it it's consists of a few rooms. Depending on an early game choice, some of those rooms are accessible, some aren't, so it's got some replay, got multiple endings. And it has this hint of stuff that operates on the periphery that is pretty interesting. It's fairly well written. It's just a short little bite-sized Game Boy horror game that quite liked and i would like to see more of this because what it kind of sets up and, and establishes as being part of whatever world this is set in is intriguing and especially for someone like 
me who likes gross things, cynical things, and and economic things to some extent. There's something going on here that that is for me. It's fun. It's creepy. It's dark. It plays very well as just a little Game Boy thing. I I'm actually pretty impressed. And it like I say, I went through the whole thing, saw what I suspect are all the endings, save one. I thought of one combination of actions that. I might be able to do that hasn't been tried, uh, but 90 minutes to get through all of that. And that's with fumbling around. Yeah. Uh, so not uh, not a big investment. I would say worth the time. It's pay what you want on itch.io. It's cryohazard. I, yeah, go check it out. It's neat. Neat. I want to talk a little bit about a game I played recently that is not strictly a video game, but it's a game played using mobile phones and like... I want to talk about it somewhere where people will listen, because like I, I find this game really interesting uh, in terms of how you can do narrative as game mechanics. It is a game called Alice is Missing. Oh, I think I've heard of this. I remember this coming up at some point in years past. Yeah. I've heard a lot of positive talk about this over the years, and I finally got a copy and uh, had a chance to play through it. So it is a collaborative storytelling game that is all uh, entirely played through in a real-world group uh, text chat. You know, set up like a Facebook messenger chat or a Discord channel or whatever, and for the 90 minutes you're playing, you just interact with each other by typing in text chat over 90 minutes. And the idea is that uh, you're all playing various people who knew this missing girl, Alice, and this all takes place in real time over 90 minutes after you've discovered that she's missing. And there is a deck of cards that will... Uh, there's multiple ones for different times, and as this 90-minute timer goes down, every 5 or 10 minutes, a card gets turned over, and a new element of the mystery is introduced. It might be uh, relating to a location or a suspect... And none of it is, like, it's not a game about trying to solve, like, you know, this isn't like a Cluedo where you're trying to puzzle out who who done it and work out the answer. It is more a case of, we are going to introduce narrative elements at just regular enough a, a, a pace that by the time you've finished, you know, talking through what you think one thing might mean, something new's been introduced to give you more to talk about. And it will naturally, over 90 or so minutes, Pull together, like, I'm very impressed at how well this game pulls together to a single satisfying narrative conclusion, given that it is dealing with so many random elements, and it does give you as a player complete freedom to come up with narrative entirely of your own unprompted. What I think it does really well in terms of uh, how it achieves this is that these various cards that you turn over throughout the 90 minutes will introduce, like, places and people and give you reasons to to suspect that they might be suspicious. Uh, and at this point, as you're turning them over, which one of them is going to end up being consequential hasn't yet been decided, it hasn't been dealt out, it isn't known yet. But that means that, like, no matter what the answer to the narrative happens to be, at some point in the 90 minutes you will have been prompted to talk about that information and to given a reason why it might be suspicious. And it means that when, you know, cards start turning over, that start narrowing it down and bringing it towards one conclusion, there is knowledge that you've spent 90 minutes going, 
well, this that might make sense because of this, and building your own reasons as a group, that seem to do a really good job of making that narrative endpoint, whichever whatever you you happen to reach, feel satisfying. It is largely just a tool for like collaborative storytelling, but I was really impressed at its pacing, and like particularly impressed at. Like, 90 minutes of talking in a text group chat, I really thought there would be more downtime than there ended up being. Mm-hmm. In that it really has a very finely tuned sense of, right, we, we've given you a card that, like, you know, it's going to be 10 minutes before your next clue. Let's give you something that's probably going to take you 10 minutes to talk through. And it really keeps you, like, just barely enough time to to have explored that topic before there's something new and you're going somewhere else. As I said, it's not, you know, it's not really a video game, other than the fact it's it's a game played, you know, by typing, you know, playing with other people on phones or computers by typing, but, like, yeah. Hmm. It reminded me very much of something like playing through Disco Elysium in terms of, I feel like you gave me a really good set of tools to uh, explore role-playing and committing to a character, but it managed to do it in 90 minutes. The other things I want to note that are really neat about it, um, it's really good at giving like character development prompts up front to give you things to work towards. It gives you a lot of potential building blocks uh, before you start the 90 minutes to work out what your relationships to other characters might be, things like that, so that you have something going in. The game's also really good about having like built-in structures about consent, as it's such an open-ended narrative, and being like, hey, here's some structure by which you can upfront put certain things off the table, because it's a story about a missing missing person. You can mechanically make sure that certain things that might be common triggers are just off the table. And if you start playing and someone realises something is not okay for them, uh, there are really good simple mechanics in place for no questions asked, getting a message removed, and just taking the story in a different direction. And they've even built, like, they, they recognise the potential need for, like, taking some time to chat afterwards and aftercare, because it's quite an intense experience. It is a very thoughtfully made game that, like, I know it's not strictly pod position fair, but also I want people who listen to this show to pay attention to it, because it is a fascinating little thing. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Steph? What you been, what you been playing? Uh, the other... A game I've been playing mostly this week is A Plague Tale Requiem, Ah. a game I've been very much looking forward to finally getting my hands on. I installed that. I have started it. (laughs) Plague Tale Innocence, the the first game, is, in my opinion, a masterpiece. I absolutely adore that game. Mm -hmm. Plague Tale Requiem is not a masterpiece. It's got a lot of good stuff going for it. It's mostly good. It's also got several gameplay sections I never want to play again for the rest of my life. And it is very much a game that subtracts through addition. Mm. To explain that, uh, I actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. One of the things I like um, that Innocence does is what I call directed stealth, where the stealth gameplay is very linear. There's usually just one way of doing it. Um, There's a lot of uh, sort of linear tracks through it. But what that does is it allows the game to direct a sense of tension to time enemy movements and and, and, um, even the the score at times in such a way that you always feel like you're just getting out by the skin of your teeth. 
Now, Playtale Requiem doesn't have much of that in the least. Uh, they've opened it up. Um, so environments where you need to perform stealth are much wider. There are multiple ways to get through it. Enemies, if disturbed from their, their movement patterns, will become very unpredictable. Uh, you will be able to sneak. You will. Uh, you have options for uh, stealth killing and more um, upfront combat options. Now, make no mistake, this is not a game in which you are fighting per se. If you you can't just walk in and kill everything. Uh, the enemies are better armored, better armed than you. So it's better to have that. It's there as a last resort, and the game has a sort of leveling system where there are three skill tracks, not trees, just tracks, uh, for either using the alchemy stuff a lot, like the, the you know, fire slingshot and stuff, being more aggressive or sneaking through everything. And I'm not fond of it compared to the first one. I, am, I don't like it anywhere near as much. By opening it up, they've taken away that sense of direction. They've taken away tension that the game gets to control mm. now it's sort of hit or miss it's very sort of up to chance whether the game whether the stealth sections work out in such a way that you feel like you're just getting out of it like like the enemies are breathing down your neck oh, they, they are certainly breathing down your neck but now it's random it feels random you can't tell where the enemies are gonna go once they're disturbed from their patterns and there are parts of this game that are so fucking frustrating where there are so many enemies and so many of them have helmets now so they can't actually be dealt with. If you try and deal with one of them, it will alert everyone and they will just start wandering. And it's it's not frequent, but there are... So far, I've I've reached two. I've gotten past two gameplay sections that I never want to play again, that, that just annoyed me. Because for all of its choice, it also increases the ways that everything can go wrong. And, and this game is very good at just sort of putting you in positions where you feel completely trapped and, and the, the getting out of it is beyond your control. Mm. However, the game is also, um, it's telling so far a very good story. The character development of Amicia is, it has me sort of on the hook. Because it's doing a lot of sort of st cycle of revenge stuff that a lot of other video games think is super deep, but they do it the way like The Last of Us Part Two did it. Whereas this is just very focused on Amicia's character and how her sort of need to lash out at a world as crappy as the one she lives in is negatively affecting her and just causing more harm than good. And it's doing it in a really good way, which is helped by the excellent performances that took some getting used to because they no longer speak with French accents. They just dropped them. Like Vicky Mitchell did when she stopped sounding like American on a random episode of EastEnders, which is a great reference many people who watched EastEnders in the year 2000 will get. The rat gameplay is still cool. A lot of it is largely the same, but they've really increased the rats. Except for the parts where I feel like I'm standing in the light but the rats have chewed me anyway. I trust this game less than I do the first. That's one of the main problems. It's not as tight an experience, mm. and things are going wrong in the game as a result of the expansion that just didn't occur in the first one. 
I shouldn't be stood in the light and afraid that the rats will still bite me. Because that's a fundamental part of the gameplay you're meant to trust. But I have had them just, like, pop into the light just enough to bite me and kill me. And, and that shouldn't be happening. That's not to say I'm having a, a, a universally bad time with it. There are still some really cool environmental puzzles. When the um, stealth and more combat areas work, they really work. I am pretty engrossed by the story so far. And the character development is really nice. Uh, so I am enjoying it. I think it is mostly a good game. But I think its desire to be more mainstream, to be more expansive, has let it down a bit. I, I feel like at times it is being a little um, self-conscious about being too niche. And I think that's to its discredit. That's pretty much where I'm at with it so far. Yeah, I've, I've not played much of it, but I'm already having a similar sense of... I like linear crafted experiences mm -hmm. where I feel like every moment it like I enjoy them in the same way that I enjoy a good roller coaster or like not even like like a roller coaster theme park rides that slowly take you through a very crafted environment. Yeah. I like the I know that every moment of this I'm being pointed exactly where I should be at the right time to have a really cool experience and that's not to say that that's all that I ever want from games, but there are certain games where that feels to their benefit, and I sometimes feel it lacking when, you know, it's it's missing, which is a shame. Yeah. I'm just so sick of games that have a hang-up about being quote-unquote too linear. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And I said that in some of the very earliest Inquisition episodes I ever did. Like, well over a decade ago, I was trying to, like, emphasise that linear doesn't mean bad and open doesn't mean good but people still treat it like it's a dirty word it's one of the reasons amongst all the many other reasons that like beyond good and evil 2 i lost all excitement for when i saw that it was being turned into a big open world thing because i was just like with its hundreds of planets of varying sizes i'm like no just let me have a crafted single player linear experience sometimes and then you know all the other shit happened but like just let things that are good, linear, single-player experiences be that sometimes. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. The only other thing I've played this week, uh, I've not got a huge amount to say, um, but I've been playing version 1.0 of Vampire Survivors. Oh! I've got a review code, and by the time this episode goes out, that'll be up. Mm-hmm. As will the... Bestiary and stage descriptions that uh, James Stephanie Sterling wrote. I've been refreshing my review build, going like, is is it there? Is it there? Is it there? I want to read it. Yeah, I'm not sure if it'll be in time for reviews. I know it will be in time for 1.0's launch. Yeah, so by, by the time you hear this, it should be there. Yeah, and it'll only be in English for a, a bit. Yeah. Because uh, I've got to translate it all, but it will have translations. But uh, yeah, have, having played the like, I don't want to say too much about the other mechanical stuff that's that's in in there in one point other than to say I really enjoyed some of the chaotic, dramatic uh, nonsense that was built up to, and 
I mean, I, I'll say this, I don't feel like this is uh, too, too spoilery. I really like that there is a true endless mode in there now. That is a mode that you can certainly set up builds where the only thing that's going to stop your run continuing is, oops, computer really doesn't like how long it's been going and how many thousands of enemies are trying to swarm you at this point. And that's beautiful. That's what I want out of this game. Yeah. I want to be able to, to make that one ridiculously overpowered build that would totally have been like, oh no, you used the upgraded cl uh, clock lancet and the upgraded laurel and the, the uh, death came and one hit killed you. Like, I want to be able to turn that off and go, no, just keep throwing enemies at me and let me watch my Steam Deck fucking try and melt handling what I've done to it. That's what I want, and 1.0 definitely delivers that as an option that now exists. It is stunning how much, like, because they've been, like, drip feeding on the Twitter account. Yeah. Lots of sort of changes and addition well additions they're making uh up to like in overhauling character sprites to make them more uh you know just less stock asset e more animated alternate music tracks for basically everything and they some of those are fucking bangers yeah so much is being added right just in time for launch I, in a game that already iterated uh and added so much content over the early access period like like this is a game i'm proud to be involved with you you should be fucking proud of being involved in it particularly like i've I, you know I've, I've seen some of the stuff that you've written that's going in there and i can't fucking wait oh. until that's in the game and i can look Thank at you. it and go oh shit my friend wrote that cool stuff yay i'm very proud of it i'm i'm very nervous about how it'll go over but i'm very proud of it i'm proud of the keeping the the silly tone of the game with a lot of it um as well as some of just the very background lore that i've sort of popped in it's not super lore heavy you get people who are like oh why does it need lore which by the way no one's ever complained until i got involved oh, yeah, about yeah, a bestiary yeah. having monster bios written in it who who complains about that oh yeah no no one ca no one cares about an easily avoidable piece of codex lore until they don't like the person who's written it like like that's just so bad faith is to go this game doesn't need any any writing at all in it I'm like <laughs> fuck off but yeah, like I've kept it nice and subtle, but like, you know, Gallo has a lot to answer for, I'll say that much. You've really had me chuckling with some of the Thank stuff you. you sent, and I um I'm really excited that like I'm gonna be able to look at that and go, hey, not only was this one of my favourite games I played this year, but that's that's my friend did that, yeah. And there's only one bestiary entry that I think is gonna be controversial. Oh, Oh, you, you both it's... know what it is. Oh yeah. No. Tr tr trust me, trust me. I I understand the 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 nerves, but also, fuck it, they can't stop you. No one can stop you. But she she gives big trans energy. That's all I'm gonna say. I mean, that's all I'm gonna say. I mean, I mean, look, people people were saying it when when she was released. Trans people have been saying it. You just you just agreeing with the known consensus. Anyone can be a sassy witch if they want to be. That's that's yeah, the message of the day. But yeah, yeah, I'm very proud of it. I'm I'm just I've. Made sure that I've got everything unlocked in the previous versions before the official launch of... Like, I've got a beta version that I've been able to see my stuff in, and it's fucking surreal. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it finally coming out in, in full. It's... Yeah. It's been such a good game all year in Early Access. Like, we've all gushed about it. I yeah. gushed about it before I got involved with it. Yeah. Obviously, I realise that anything I say beyond this point is biased because I'm, you know, involved, but... Wait, what? <laughs> That's how this works? Yeah. Oh, shit. 
thank God I've only ever shit on things I'm involved in. That's true, actually. <laughs> I mean, look, when when someone gushes about a thing and then works on said thing and then continues to gush about it afterwards, like, yeah, the caveat needs to be there, but also, like, you you, you must have played a long con to like if you were pretending to like it to work on it to pretend to like it some more. Plus, this game is so close to universally beloved that, like, yeah, yeah, I'm really making up that I like it. Sure, Jan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no one's accused me of that, but you know, I I, I get you. People love to try and do those things. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just you know that there is that caveat, but the game's so fucking good. It's just so fucking good. It is. Uh, anyone else played anything else this week? Oh, Steph. Oh, hello. Steph did. Steph played something. <laughs> now that we've eaten our dinner, it's time to eat dessert. Uh, Pudding time. <sighs> so who remembers Eat Led, The Return of Matt Hazard? I do. I do. You do. I do. Yeah. yeah. I got a copy in my closet. I didn't remember it as well as I thought I did. <laughs> Right. Oh yeah, because yeah, I it's a, mm. don't remember it being that bad. It wasn't a good game. No, I I always knew that. I played it back in the day, and and my memory is of thinking it was fairly mediocre from a, a gameplay standpoint, but quite charming with the concept. It's neither. <laughs> it's way worse than mediocre, and it's not charming in the least. I played it. I played a bit of it because I've been doing that thing where I've just been getting some like backwards compatible 360 games for nostalgia. Right. And thought, oh, I remember being a bit charmed by that. That'll, that'll be something I'd do. And then I streamed it for three hours. And I don't know why I kept doing it. I could have just put on Vampire Survivors or something. I could have played anything else. But I, I stuck with it for three hours and I'm not playing it again. It's so, it's so bad. Like, it's unbearably bad. It's a cover-based shooter where the cover doesn't work. Like, by design, it gets shot to the point where it glitches out and disappears. But even when you're behind it, it doesn't work. And the enemy AI just doesn't, like, obey the same sort of belief in the cover system that you're supposed to. So they'll swarm you. Environments are designed so that you can't actually use the cover, but you die in a couple of shots. It's so bullshit. It's full of repetitive, awful sequences like QTE fighting sections, because, of course, it's got QTEs. It was the late 2000s. It's got awful sniping sections. It's core concept of it. you're a video game protagonist and that's who the character is. They live inside a video game. Nothing original. Nothing's done with it. It's just an excuse to have no artistic cohesion with the enemies. Like, it'll just throw in zombies and cowboys. Well, no, it's also a reason for, like, glitchy, colourful particle effects when you shoot people. Well, there's that too, yeah. It's a game that has the sheer nerve to parody other video games (laughs) while being the worst example of any of the genres it's making fun of. And you can't do that. (laughs) You You can't be one of the worst examples of a genre you're making fun of. It's it's a 360 game that like visually reminds me of Red Steel on the Wii. Yep. Yeah. Like it's got that sort of like gen- generic, slightly blurry quality to it. 
Ah, oh, I, I I remember the AI in it just having a real propensity for sprint forward and then awkwardly stand there for a second, like, yeah. I forgot what I was doing. What was I doing? Oh, yes, I was shooting you. Oh, yeah, there's no real AI to speak of. They just sort of mindlessly run at you and, and just, like, shoot, 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 stand there, shoot, shoot, shoot. Yeah, it tends to be more a matter of, like, get just getting overwhelmed by enemies more yes. than... Yeah. Them being strategic. Whenever it tries something different, which is the same shooty bullshit, but with like something annoying added, it drags on far too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actual gameplay, when it's not being like utterly infuriating, is just boring. Like it, it is like the most dreary version of a cover shooter. Repetitive. You get various weaponry, but like they're all useless except your starting pistol. Because with that, you can just hide behind something, mostly if they're not rushing you. Hide behind something, line the reticle up to their head, and then just pop up and shoot their head and they die. Anything else is awful. The shotgun is useless unless you walk up to them, which by that point you might as well initiate the hilariously awfully animated melee attack, uh, which will kill them far quicker. Any other gun, the kickback, like there's SMGs and assault rifles, but the recoil is so bad, like you'll get a migraine if you stare at the screen for too long. You can't get a bead on anything with it. They're slow to aim, and when you shoot, the recoil is dreadful. And and every section is drawn out way too long. There are too many sniping sections. There's a bit where a, a helicopter is shooting at you from outside a building, and you'll just be chewed to death if you stand... Uh, in front of it, but the cover that you need to hide from enemies is often in front of it, and that goes on ways everything drags out. Will Arnett does the voice of Matt Hazard. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was pre-Bojack, uh, which is interesting. And Neil Patrick Harris is the voice of the, oh, yeah. the villain in it. Yeah. 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 I wonder where the money went. Yeah. It's so ugly. The gameplay is so atrocious. It's so horrible to play. Like, this is one of them games where it's not just bad. It's it's a, similar to Scorn in that regard, in that it's almost physically unpleasant. Yeah. Like, my skin crawls because it's it's just, on a tactile level, uncomfortable to play. It, it makes me feel bad when I play it. And that was one of the most excruciating live streams I ever had. Oh, you live streamed it? Oh, I didn't know that. I live streamed it three hours. Oh my it God. It was horrible. Oh my Mate, God. Redneck Tombry bounced. Yeah. Was watching and just said, oh God, I've seen enough. I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> like it was that bad. It, it it's, it, there's nothing fun about it. The, it's a crime. That they decided to, like, they tried to have some smart-ass satirical concept and did nothing with it. You can't just put on a few pixely effects when a character dies and call it a day. Mm. It does n- it does less than nothing with its concept because any any attempt at satire is undermined by how bad it is. So it goes into negative figures with its very idea. I think they recognised pretty well that they had a great concept and could not execute on the concept in this product. Yeah. Because they like they they stuck with Matt Hazard for a little while. Like there are other Matt Hazard games. There's a I think there's one other game. It's a side scroller called Bloodbath and Beyond which I never played. Yeah, and I think I did and I think it was crap too, ultimately. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Like this is from 
D3 publisher. They they published this. The Onichandra people. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's at that level of quality, except Onichandra is at least charming in its stupidity. This is offensive in its cynicism. Yeah. 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 It's it's not good. I don't know that I could offer any defense of it, and yet there's still something because I know I will feel exactly the same way you do you did when I go inevitably now go back and replay <laughs> this. I don't know how I got through it. How did we get through this back in the day? I don't know, but I know I finished it. I remember yeah. being, and, and I remember the last area being so infuriating that I couldn't believe I'd finished it then. So Yeah. The thing one of the things about it too, I think what what made it almost feel acceptable at the time is that it was quite clearly even then a budget shooter. Yeah. Right? And we were putting it in the context of a budget shooter of its day. But if you want to talk about something that will age like milk, mm-hmm. it's already underwhelming mechanical implementation of something that then gets iterated on and improved in fast ways later. I think it's because I've seen so much better. Yeah. And I've also seen bad enough that it's eroded my patience over the... the God, how many years was this? Uh, 13 or so years old like however long it was like I, i've got less patience and higher standards than this yeah it, it's just unpleasant and i can't keep doing it i'm i'm glad i was so happy when that stream was done where i was like okay i have made it worth getting again because i did that right i won't feel bad about never playing it again now yeah uh, so, shall we get into some news? Tell you what, we can do. We sure got some of it this week. We sure do. Let's start with the big one that there are multiple, multiple aspects of to talk about, and we'll get through them all in, in stages. Clearly, the big video game news of the week this week was uh, when Helena Taylor, the original voice actress for Bayonetta in the Bayonetta games, posted a video on Twitter addressing the fact that she is not voicing the character in the third game. Originally, the official statement from Platinum Games had been that she hadn't come back to Bayonetta 3 because of scheduling conflicts, uh, which Helena Taylor denied. Her claim, uh, originally made, is that she was offered $4,000 and no residuals total to voice the character in Bayonetta 3, and she requested a boycott of the game by fans. This started a larger conversation, and it is an important conversation to have about Helena Taylor's situation, but also more generally about the industry, about underpayment of voice actors in the video game industry. We had examples of, for example, someone who voiced the character of Rivali in uh, Breath of the Wild, only being paid, I believe, total $3,000, no residuals, uh, for his involvement on that game. Uh, a lot of voice actors came out to go, yeah, what Helena Taylor is saying honestly doesn't fucking surprise me to hear. The video game industry has a huge problem with underpaying voice actors. Now, from there, it is important to address that there has been a follow-up report from Bloomberg, which I don't think should invalidate the wider discussion of... Well, that's my fear, is yeah. the, the sheer muddiness and the, the fact that 
this is now all about the drama of who's lying, it undermines so many valid points that voice actors deserve residuals, voice actors deserve better pay, voice actors, the amount of money that they, uh, their involvement brings to companies. Like, yeah, voice actors would have made millions if it was... TV, radio, music, any other entertainment industry pays its performers to such a a superior degree yeah. that it is beyond insulting. And we we don't get to talk about that now. Yeah. Well, and this is why I want to very quickly get the report from Bloomberg out the way and then get back to this conversation because like I don't want this to do- dominate what we talk about today. There has been a report from Bloomberg that has been backed up by a couple of places. Um, uh, Jason Schreier's been talking about it, Stephen Toledo, um, VG247, have all reported that Helena Taylor has potentially, allegedly, been misleading about how little she was offered to play the role. To be clear, she was still criminally under-offered for the role. She was allegedly offered $15,000 and not the $4,000 that she claims. That said, she did still only get paid fifteen thousand, or only get offered fifteen thousand dollars, no residuals, which would still be criminally underpaying her compared to other industries. Yeah, I think I think where the confusion came in is that she said four thousand dollars, and that was the rate per session, and there were supposed to be, I think, five yes. sessions. So the, I think the total was twenty thousand. That's what I'd read in Bloomberg. I think. Um, but, but the problem is, is it's muddy and it doesn't actually matter how much she was offered. No. Now it's, it's unfortunate that this either error or intent to like make it maximize the sense of outrage exists because it sets her up as a pretty poor example of someone that we should be listening to. It, it, it establishes an opportunity to doubt. We certainly shouldn't be listening to our opinion on trans rights. And then there's that too. That's the other bit of it. Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to say. Is she's She follows a lot of not very trans positive people, a lot of racists, a lot of uh, right-wing Christian conservatives, but like none of those facts should take away from the fact. No. Right. I wish we had a better representation yes. of what this was. It's like that parody headline, the worst person you know just made a good point yeah like it's that kind of thing it's like yeah it would be better if some anyone else was making these points but these points have been made for over a decade yeah. like this yes the earliest one i remember is one i mentioned in the Jimquisition, uh 2008 michael hollick the voice of nico bellick in um grand theft auto 4 mm-hmm. he got a hundred thousand for the uh voicing yes. a, a lot of dialogue oh for that God. game yeah um no residuals um, when you look at how much money that game made, uh, he would have been a millionaire off the back of it. Yeah. Um, and he, he wasn't even nasty about it. Like, he, his point, and it still stands, is the union should have negotiated better. And that was a point made 14 years ago. In 2016, we had a voice actor strike, Performance Matters, yeah. and we're still dealing with this. Like, the union is still not giving voice actors yeah. the kind of respect that other performers get. That is a real issue. And it's 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 a complicated like I've I found it really complicated to work out like where my feelings sit on this because like I I uh, something I've been mulling over and I think you said really well on on the Jimquisition this week was the like the situation around the request for a boycott here is a complicated one in that 
if you, as you said, if you, if you're going to boycott every video game that underpays its voice actors, you're probably going to have to boycott every AAA video game that exists. Yes, because this is an endemic issue to the industry, and it sucks that the situation around Helena Taylor has muddied that conversation because the core conversation is really important, even if, you know, on an individual level, I don't necessarily like the thought of a bunch of money going to a person who seems to hold some turfews, uh, and I think that she's really shot herself in the foot on the messaging, doesn't change the fact that voice actors are talent that deserve to be paid proper residuals, and that our industry needs to treat them as the talent they are. Yeah, I don't think that just because this person seems like they might be an asshole, everyone else who does their job deserves to not get paid. Fuck that. Yeah. Nor do they deserve harassment. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, leave these people alone. Like, the amount of shit people have been giving Jennifer Hale for, like, voicing Bayonetta instead. Like, the worst thing she did was be an actor and take an acting job. Like, fuck off. Yeah. Like, like the gaming community has a... Still, after all these years, has such an issue with people who are just looking for an excuse to be a cunt. Like, it's not helping. Imagine, like, imagine thinking that... Jennifer Hale found out what had been offered and the circumstances surrounding it and was like, well, fuck her. I'm taking this. Like, that's not how it went. She was offered a job. She took a job. Yeah. You know, leave leave her alone. Yeah. And I, I do want to, like, touch on one other aspect of this where let's talk briefly about Hideki Kamiya. I don't want to linger on him. Oh, must we? There are. I'm going to say two things, and I think that they can both simultaneously be true. He's an absolute fucker who like completely handled this like a like a you know absolute unprofessional infant screaming at the wall and like you know as is his want this is not you know yeah as is his want he made it worse but i think it is also fair to acknowledge his initial response to this in which he basically boiled down to saying helena taylor is lying there may have been some truth to potentially more than initially people assumed. Sure. Sure. And I, I I don't think that justifies his actions. He can be pissed about that, but his response, as well as being like pathetically unprofessional, yeah. was stupid. Like it was he made himself so unsympathetic. Like, if you've been lied about, like the worst thing you want to do is like be a total twat to everyone. Yes. Like, I feel like there is a way in which he could have like gone I know that I know that she's lying. I will give it a second. Maybe even go fucking talk to the press about the fact that 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 it, you know there are ways that you, Camille, could have much more sensibly handled that if that was what you were feeling and you wanted to talk about it, rather than what you did. It's his right to process it however he'd like to do that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he made himself look a right tit. Yes. Now, in terms of like wanting to move this conversation away from some of the stuff about Helena Taylor specifically, I do want to point to a really good piece on The Guardian by Keza MacDonald called An Insult. Video game voice actors speak out uh, to demand fair pay. I also want to point towards a uh, piece over on Eurogamer called Bayonetta 3 voice actress Jennifer Hale asks fans to be kind of following abuse. The Guardian piece goes into a lot more like in-depth interviews with voice actors about this problem. The latter piece on Eurogamer largely compiles social media statements from voice actors about this topic, both of which are really good starting points for if you want to 
see who else in the industry is talking about this and keep thinking about this story in a way that doesn't necessarily have to be attached to Helena Taylor as a figurehead of it. But yeah, it is a mess of a story, and one that needed to be touched on up top because there wasn't really any getting around it. It's really tiring to like video games. Mm-hmm. Another story from a couple of weeks back that we didn't touch on at the time, um, I didn't put it on the topic list because I wanted to wait until there was more information I didn't want to rush putting it on here. TwitchCon happened a couple of weeks ago, and a Twitch streamer broke her back in two places taking part in an event at TwitchCon where there was a foam, like a big foam pit, and Twitch streamers were encouraged to do sort of gladiator-esque activities on standing platforms, and she assumed that big foam pit was for landing in and was a safe place to land, jumped into the foam pit not realising it was very shallow and concrete at the bottom. The story involves uh, Adriana uh, uh, Chekik, who is okay, she is having to do some major recovery to learn how to walk again. It is a very serious injury, and the main reason why it's important to talk about it is because inevitably this is going to be a story that comes back up. The question is who the blame for this incident is going to end up pointed at. The foam pit stand was sponsored by Lenovo. Um, it was at TwitchCon, uh, there's a few companies that potentially could be pointed to as responsible for this uh, pit uh, that occurred, but right now there is the lingering issue of someone got very seriously injured at TwitchCon in an official event, and this is likely to either result in a lawsuit at some point against Twitch or Lenovo. So that is a situation that happened that will probably be circling back around at some point in the future. Uh, we got we got some other stories. You know how Stadia died really recently? Because apparently no one wanted uh, s- streamed video games. Yes. Haha. <laughs> yeah? Yeah? That's not stopping new people trying to get into the game. Netflix is seriously exploring its own cloud gaming uh, off- offering. I have more faith in Netflix's ability to accomplish this than I do... Googles. I genuinely do, and I wanted to talk about this, because, like, I think I might... Uh, look, I think this might do well for the same reason that, like, I use Xbox Cloud Gaming, but I never touched Stadia. Yeah. If you take people who already have a subscription to your online service and offer this as an additional value add, I think people will use it. Yep. I think if you offer it as its own standalone thing where you have to buy into just it on its own, it's not going to work. And I think that's why Netflix really has a a good chance of doing better than Google at this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'm pretty sure they would have no difficulty getting it on any device. Yeah. That's capable, of, you know, just anything. So, I mean, it's... Well, that's the thing. Like, they, they already have Netflix apps built into TVs. They have yep. Netflix apps on whatever whatever thing it is you want. If you can, if you can get that to interface with a controller, if you know whatever TV that's got the Netflix app will Bluetooth connect to a controller, done. Yep. Use your existing controller. You're there. No additional payment, so why not try it? I think they're in a much better position to to do it as a thing. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. But like, I feel like it's got a better chance of surviving than Google. Netflix can go fuck itself though. Well, sure. Oh yeah, no. Absolutely. Yeah, Netflix Netflix can go fuck itself, but also 
I feel like this is going to have more of a chance of living than Stadia did. Oh yeah, they've got a better shot of it than Google. Yeah. We got some more information about uh, Call of Duty and the having to have a contract phone to play the game online situation. They're not backing down from it. Ish. You are only going to need that, that text verification on PC. It won't be required on console. Right, because if you're on console, you're already connected in with one of the major uh, networks. You have an account that's already going to be verified. They don't need it there. Well, I feel like it's not even necessarily that. I think it's like, uh, to my understanding, games you play online can read your unique console ID. And that is a very bannable thing where your your console just cannot play that game anymore. Sure. Like, that tech has existed for a while. It isn't needed. And, you know, it's still a shitty situation, but, you know, at least one area isn't being impacted by it. But, like, yeah, Activision really doesn't want to give this... Uh, this up no matter how many times they get pushed back for it. Oh, we got to, we got some good news. We got some good news about unions. Blizzard's uh Diablo uh, uh, t- uh team, uh Blizzard Albany, their QA staff have uh won the right to unionize. Good for them. Congratulations. Yeah. Yep. Uh the more it happens the better. That's literally how it works. Yep. Yeah. Um, they're, they're getting ballots sent out as early as next week. By mid-November, they, they, we, we should have a result, but, like, we're likely to have another Activision QA team unionizing within the next month. Activision Blizzard, surprising no one, had been trying to prevent them from unionizing. They made the claim previously that, you know, this should be a decision made by a larger group of employees at the Albany studio, and not just the testing team, which, I mean... Yeah, unionize all of them, but <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it, it, if just a few of them want to unionize, fucking let them. Uh, but the National Labor Relations Relations Board disagreed and said no. Fucking let them let them vote. Well, they want management to be able to vote, and and <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So that that's that's some positive progress there. We also have some other news about again about QA and unionization. Uh, do you remember we talked a while back about uh, the fact that there was a Nintendo of America QA staff member who got fired uh, from Nintendo of America and was trying to sue them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time, we didn't know much about the lawsuit, but what we did know was that it involved uh, obstruction of unionization efforts was one of the claims. Yeah. Uh, so we now know how that's played out. Uh, that member of staff has received a $26,000 settlement, mm-hmm. and Nintendo of America must now display notices um, in, in their offices that explicitly state they will not fire staff for union discussions. Oh. Which sure makes it sound like they were firing people for discussing unions. I mean, if you have to promise people that you won't do something. Yeah. Like, there's there might be some fire at the end of that smoke. Yeah. So my favorite bit of this is the notice. Uh, we have specifics. Uh, the words will not have to be in block capital letters. Oh, God. So they have to have f- notices in, in public areas in the company that say, will not be fired or stopped from discussing unions. Brilliant. They gotta go, gotta put it big and bold. You have the right to talk about a, a union and we will not stop you from talking about a union. Uh, we, will n- we will not fire you because you exercise your right to raise uh, issues and complaints. Yeah, the more you go into this, it's like, mm, what, what were you doing previously that you have to put all these in here? 
Yeah, at the time, Nintendo claimed that they fired him for disclosing confidential information and for no other reason. And there is no evidence here that it was for other reasons, but it sure seems like it was about him discussing unions. So, that's fun. Yeah. We got a couple of last ones um, that we can rattle through. I've saved a nice one for last. Quick one. I have no care about Apex Legends because fucking EA grumble grumble. EA's introducing a trans character as a playable character. The only reason I bring this up is because I genuinely am surprised that they beat uh, Overwatch to the punch. I really for years thought Overwatch was going to be the first one to try and do playable trans character in big multiplayer online shooter. To Apex's credit, they they launched with a non-binary character as well. Yep. They did go with the old non-binary trope of character in a mask. But, you know... Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I'll, I'll say for this trans woman character, they've uh, she's voiced by a trans woman, which is cool. That's always proper. Yeah. It's, 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 it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, credit where credit is due. Like, I, I, I was one of the big truthers that, like, as much as I fucking hate Activision Blizzard, I really thought they were going to do it with Zarya in season one of Overwatch. The, her gun shoots the fucking trans pride flag colours. I really thought they were going to do it. <laughs> Interesting, just like little tidbit, a leaked pilot uh, for a American Kingdom Hearts TV show uh, got uh, placed online recently. It is an interesting watch, if a little ra- rough around the edges, and I'm not going to say it's good, but it is an interesting insight into something that was pitched around and never went anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And last, Nintendo's trying to trying to have less boobs on the eShop. What? Oh. Nintendo wants less boobs. They don't... They're, they're, they're anti-boob. This past year, there's been a lot of boobs on the eShop. There really has. Yeah, if they, if they didn't want so many boobs, they really should have done something about this by now, I would think. Well, yeah. Yeah, there, there, there's been, like, a real, like, influx of here's a puzzle game on Switch, and if you do the puzzle, you see tits. Yeah. It's basically, like, the amount... It's similar to the sheer volume of hentai puzzle games that came to Steam once they opened the floodgates, but it stops short of being outright hentai. Mm. But it's the same influx of rather cheap puzzle games for the same cynical reason. Yeah. And it's really just... Just there are entire websites where you can look at hentai. Like, I don't know why you want to pay money... To hide the hentai behind a shitty puzzle. Okay, but these hentai artists, you know, they need to make money. How many of these games are you uh, uh, made by actual hentai artists? Probably not enough. That's my question. How many were just sort of taken from, like, Rule 34 sites? Oh, no doubt. No doubt, yeah. Yeah. The, the Switch has a YouTube app. Just go on the YouTube app and search boobs. Nintendo, you can't stop them doing that. There is so much to wank about. <laughs> like, you yeah. you, you can't. The, you look at all the things that you could wank about, right? Yeah. You couldn't wank over everything. No. From the moment you start wanking to the moment you die. You couldn't. You don't. Oh, God. Like, I'm not saying don't pay for porn, <laughs> right? No, you should. Go for it. You know, yeah, like, support that content. But to hide the porn behind a shit puzzle, it's... (laughs) I don't understand it, although I think Scorn would be better if the sliding block puzzle did have um, some anime girl with with, uh, tits hanging out, like, behind it. (sighs) 
Yeah. So the, what what we've been told is that apparently outright censored nudes won't be allowed anymore. Only the uncensored nudes <laughs> from now on. Yeah, and the the we also know that a game called Hot Tentacles Shoot uh, won't become won't be coming to Switch anymore because they were told that obscene. <laughs> I know, right? Hot Tentacle Shoot, huh? Yeah, uh, obscene content could damage the brand and infringe its policies. Oh, I've got to look that up. This is a minefield. Do Do you want a description? I can tell you about Hot Tentacle Shoot or Hot Shoot Tentacles. Sorry, I'm seeing it written two ways in the article I'm looking at here on VG. 24-7. Is it Hot Tentacle Shooter? Uh, I've seen it written as Hot Shoot Tentacles or Hot Tentacles Shoot. Hmm. But it's not on Switch. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's not allowed on Switch. Uh, it is apparently an 80s-style shoot-em-up yeah. where defeating bosses essentially removes tentacles that are cover- covering up images of scantily clad women. Oh my, the screenshots are gold. The screenshots are amazing. Did you work out which way around the words are? It's Hot Tentacles Shooter. Yeah, I see it now on... Oh no, it's not on Steam? Oh no, because I have to be logged in to see it on Steam. You gotta be logged in. Hang on, I'm logged in on the app. Here we go. Oh, oh, I can see it on I can see it on PlayStation, I think. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, I've seen some screenshots. They look incredible. I'm definitely reviewing this. I am in on this. I'm I'm logging in. I've been I'm being denied the hot tentacles. Hot tentacles is a formidable 80s style shooter with a pixel art modern and irresistible. Modern and irresistible. Uh huh. If you get it on Steam, I think you get the full frontal as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah there's a screenshot. Oh, that's tits and and vag. Can I just say, like, the, the, the piece of key art with the logo, like, the art's good. Honestly, the pixel art is good. Oh, wow. That's some really nice pixel art. Yeah, that pixel art's fucking great. Yeah. Like, it's not just, it's not just, like, some, like, commoner garden hentai JPEG. Like, oh. like this is actual good pixel art of, of that's, tits. That's good pixel art. <laughs> are we all gonna come around now to Hot Tentacle Shooter? I mean, we're all gonna come. <laughs> I mean, for $4.99, I'm buying it and playing it before next week. I'm getting it. Yeah, I'm getting I, this. Oh my god. Oh my god, it's already on Steam. This might be the one thing we've all played. I'm downloading it. I'm downloading it literally as we speak. Yeah, uh, it's it's marked as adults only. The third screenshot on the Steam page. Uh, yeah, it's that's tits. that's there's 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 tits and vagina out. All right, it's downloaded. <laughs> I've got oh, it. Oh shit! Right, I know what I'm doing for the rest of the day. See, I saved this a good one for the end. This is delicious. Look forward to our reviews next week, probably. <laughs> oh, this is this is uh, brilliant. More like this orc massage. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in too deep now. So next week, Hot Tentacle Shoot, a week after that, Orc Massage. Oh, God. Uh, okay. Stephanie's Pawnee Corner. <laughs> oh, it's been a while since I've talked about a Pawnee, yeah. a Pawnee porn game on here. Oh. It's got four good reviews. I mean, that's, that's, that is a number of good reviews. Mostly positive. Come on. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, now now that I am suitably lubed, I am ready to hear about all of the content that that you might have uh outside of that may or may not also include tentacles being removed to show big pixelated tits. Uh I don't know, Laura, what have you got for us? Uh, 
uh, you can find all the stuff I do at Laura K Buzz all over the internet. Uh, every Friday I upload episodes of Accessibility, which is about accessibility in video games. There's like a big full episode about um, Stories of Blossom coming up this week. Go give it a watch. I talk specifically about like where it succeeds at audio descriptions compared to The Last of Us Part 1. Yeah, just go go check out Laura K Buzz everywhere. And like, if you want to support the stuff I do, go, go to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Laura K Buzz. Like, literally, that is the thing that pays my bills. As little as a dollar a month keeps the lights on super appreciated. What about you, Conrad? Uh, I just watched the trailer for Orc Massage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Oh, God. Uh, You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Conrad Zimmerman. You can hang out with me on Twitch where I will never play Orc Massage. (laughs) Twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman. <laughs> oh, did you start watching the trailer for Orc Massage, Steph? Of course I fucking did. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <sighs> you buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at pitfultruth.com, audiobooks at conradreads.com, and everything I do <laughs> online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. You know who else has a Patreon? James Stephanie Sterling. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. That supports um, this, that, and the other. The Jimquisition video series, this podcast, and of course now the return of video game reviews. We oh, she's sucking his cock. Oh, right up there. Oh, oh, (laughs) yeah. Oh, they are going for it. I told you. Fucking get that green dick. Um. Yes, uh, the return of video game reviews that may or may not include Orc Massage. Um, We've got Disney Dreamlight Valley up. We've got Scorn. Uh, My next review will most likely be A Plague Tale Requiem. I'm going to try and do um, many of the big ones, obviously not Activision or Ubisoft games because of how abusive and horrible those companies are. Uh, But yeah, uh, there's that. I stream uh, on Mondays and Wednesdays, um, usually. Uh, and then maybe sometimes at the weekend. Why do two of my friends already have Orc Massage? Ah, yeah. Because you know the right people. I think we know the same people as well. <laughs> um, yeah, two friends. Uh, Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling uh, is where you can see my stuff there. Obviously, uh, Vampire Survivors will probably be out by the time this is live i believe it's due to go live on steam at exactly the same time as this episode goes up my uh writing will be in the game i've written the stage descriptions and the full bestiary for that game i like to think of my bestiary as part way between dark souls lore and the pokedex um i'm very pleased with it i hope you enjoy it and my uh current wrestling dates are november 4th in leeds true grit wrestling november 12th newcastle avant-garde wrestling november 20th leicester uh wrestling resurgence and we should hopefully have news on the next spectrum wrestling date very soon uh that's that thank you all so much i've got a tentacle shooter to play Mm -hmm. bye bye bye